When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joy Elkanen, Dennis Dick with you on this Thursday morning. Busy morning. We've got earnings. We've got initial jobless claims. Uh, we've got Apple making their own processors. So we'll talk about those three. Those are our big three buckets of the show today. We're also going to be joined by Joey Agri. He's the CEO of Agri Realty. They're a Michigan-based read. The ticker is ADC. He will join us at 8.35 to tell, uh, talk about the effect that COVID is having on uh, the commercial real estate industry as a whole and also his business. So uh, very excited for that conversation in about 35 minutes or so. I'll throw it to Joel here. Joel, give us a quick recap. What's happened here overnight? Uh, flat here in the S&Ps, down $1, 2787 uh, Pre-market low, uh, 2772.75. Got a nice, nice bounce off that. Got back up over 2800 uh, 280575. Uh, the high from yesterday is 2808. So clear target here on the upside if you're attempting any early longs. Uh, crude, uh, having a good day, up two bucks at 1579. That's 14.5%. Uh, USO not quite participating. Gold having another good day. Uh, dip under 1700 has been bought up $13.20 at uh, 1751.50. Bitcoin, uh, another quiet range again, but up $55 at 7,210. And Triple D, before we get going on the earnings and the market here, um, how those imbalances been treating you yet, uh, lately? Uh, the opening imbalance or closing, excuse me, the closing imbalance. They haven't been moving them as much as they, I think, uh, you know, obviously high frequency traders are maybe more on to it now um, where 
Obviously, we had big movement for the first week or two because the four traders weren't there. You're not seeing the extreme movements you were seeing before. So, what, um, you know, obviously, there's, get, well, did, wasn't look, there there's liquidity being provided yesterday? a lot more than there was. I'll wasn't say there that. a big buy in valence uh, yesterday? Or a fairly good sized buy in balance? And then it turned around and started going down, did it not? It closed red. Yeah. So, and what can happen is these things can get crowded too. You have traders that'll throw, okay, I'll go opposite, I'll go opposite, I'll go opposite. And then they can turn around and actually go the other way. So, you know, when you see the imbalance published at 350, you can always, so you can't, you know. Could you explain the balance, Dennis, just real quick? What okay, so, I, and we do this about once a week, I feel like, on the show. But <laughs> I can explain it again to the newer listeners. So closing imbalances, opening imbalances and closing imbalances. Opening imbalances come out at 8 a.m. They are telling you, giving you an idea for where the opening orders are for each individual stock. And it kind of gives you an idea of where it's going to potentially open. They actually already have projected opening prices for all the stocks. That is going to change as new orders come in. At 8 o'clock, they're kind of useless because you have another hour and a half of orders still to come in. Um, closing imbalances come out at 350. What we were saying before is they come out on the floor when you have floor brokers down there and designated market makers as early as 2 o'clock. And then the, the feed is publicly disseminated at 350. So what was happening after we didn't have the floor for about a week or two was we were getting this brand new information. The market didn't know how to digest it. Now it seems like everybody is coming in and trading the closing imbalances. So they're actually getting crowded. And in some cases, um, they get oversubscribed to. So what I mean by that is you got 100,000 to buy. Okay, you have a bunch of traders that will offset, provide the liquidity to that. Maybe it actually goes 200,000 worth of traders coming to sell to that. Then they actually can flip and go the other way. So you see some funny things happen where yesterday there was some closing imbalances to buy and we actually started to go down. So it's not a simple trade like it was a week ago or two weeks ago where it was like, okay, there's big buys. We're probably going to be very strong into the close. There's big sells. We're probably going to be strong a week into the close. That's not happening I was in the last week, I would say. So now it becomes more of an unpredictable event again. Closing imbalances for years, I, I said, you know, really didn't move the stocks like they used to. They started to after we got rid of the floor here three or four weeks ago. Um, and now all of a sudden it's starting to go back to the way it is where they're a little more unpredictable again. But with that being said, it's still relevant information, especially for day traders and especially for people who need to trade on the close. Yeah, I mean, if I, uh, you know, it seems the um, last few, because I'm on with Spencer at that time, and boom, that 349, 350, 351, I mean, you see some great action. And, uh, and, and and I've noticed over the last three or four days, it's been a fade. So I, you know, I just, uh, I wanted to see how you were navigating it. So, yep, the bots figured it out. I guess there's really no other way to, the way to put it. Um the bots, the bots figure, figure out everything the... out eventually. Sometimes it takes, I always say, a human being, so when, when a new strategy, when something just new happens, it takes the bots a little while because you got to get the programmers in. They got to back test. They got to do some things. It usually takes them a couple weeks to really get down and dirty and start really employing that strategy where a human being, if there's something new that just happened, like that's why I love these little new relationships that I talk about where, you know, you were seeing Zoom and Amazon and Teladoc. I had a whole list of COVID plays that were all moving together for a while. Those are relationships you can exploit. Those are real edges because you know what? The bots aren't onto it. They're, they first maybe haven't even figured it out yet. And then because there has to be a human being that actually figures it out uh, at, you know, whatever, whatever you know, algorithmic trading shop you're talking about. 
Um, and then, you know, they have to obviously program it in and then, you know, have to back test it and then employ it. So it takes time. So a lot of times there's a few weeks lag until the algorithms really catch on to it. We're starting to see that now in the closing and balances again. They've readjusted here um, for the new information. And you're starting to see that edge where, oh, they're all big buys at 350. We're going to close strong. That edge is again going away. So edges do eventually go away. The bots figure it out. But it's about navigating around. I always say human being, you know, there are some very good uh, human traders still out there can uh, take on a new strategy immediately. You know, if I see something, I can do it immediately. Um, and obviously, you know, if you can code, that's even better. There are some traders that can code. So, you know, if you have a prop trader that can code, well, that's a, that's a dangerous person right there. So don't be telling them your edges. <laughs> okay, great. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that explanation. Uh, we The theme of the show, right when you came on, Dennis, um, what was it? The crowded trade. You're talking, crowded trade really seems is, to be the theme the, today. This is the theme of the day, the crowded trade. The reason, you know, I'm talking about crowded trades um, for a number of reasons. We talked about these imbalances getting crowded here now and actually going the other way. But you're seeing a couple of moves in some stocks here this morning. That is classic crowded trades 101. Domino's Pizza, let's go to that. We're going to go to a couple earnings reports here. Let's start with the Domino's Pizza. Mr. Spencer Israel, give us the results, and then we'll talk about the trading action. Domino's was good. Q1 EPS of $3.07 versus a $2.32 estimate. Nice beat. Sales, $8.73 versus $8.68 million. U.S. same-store sales up 1.6% on a year-over-year uh, -year basis and does it matter to the stock take yeah. a look show the pre-market chart i'll bring it up right now big pop as expected on blow away earnings numbers Ooh. if you were on it and i wish i would have been on it because i talked about this last night actually with my other buddy buddy at, at bright trading if you were on it this stock traded up to how high joel in the pre-market 405 405 it lasted about less than a minute and they came in and they slammed it. And now it is trading red. So you might come in and say, how is Domino's Pizza on those numbers that absolutely blew it away trading in the red? And the answer is very easy. Just crowded. Very crowded trade. Crowded trades 101. Everybody on that side of it. Look at the chart going into it. Expectations super high. The bar was as high as it possibly could be. I mean, you're talking about a stock that was making new all-time highs yesterday going into this number. So the expectations were simply too high. And that is why you see Domino's Pizza actually trading down and in the red on fantastic numbers. Media will find another reason because they don't like it when you say crowded trades. They will thumb through the report, find whatever fundamental reason they can to say why Domino's Pizza is trading red. It's all nonsense. The reason it's trading red is because everybody was expecting them to blow it away. They do blow it away. Everybody's on the one side of the trade. What we mean by that is short-term traders all on the one side of the trade. You got to be long Domino's Pizza because you know oh, they're yeah. going to blow it away. Well, look what, uh, look, and they're you, getting caught. You know, it had to be long because it was basically free money. Look what CMG <laughs> did. What, look what CMG did yesterday. Well, right? and that was some, another trader was mentioning that in CMG, which, you know, you could argue the same thing, had, had a pretty good run too. And they actually did continue to go higher. Chipotle just is, is the stock that always gets a pass. It doesn't hurt that, you know, Jim Cramer on Mad Money, every time he talks about it, just pumps it. It's going to a thousand, it's going to a thousand. Jim must've said that three or four times yesterday on CNBC. I'm not joking. 
Um, and nobody, you know, is more influential than Jim Cramer. So he's got his following that is very strong. And, you know, props to Jim Cramer for being as influential as he is. But when he says stuff like that, it moves the stock. And the stock was up again. It's up again here this morning because Jim Cramer was on there last night on Mad Money saying how good the Chipotle numbers were. And I believe it's going to a thousand. So when he keeps saying stuff like that, he can push the price and he is pushing the price. I mean, in Seago too, same thing with Jim Cramer. I mean, it comes on mad money the first time. It goes up 20%. Well, he brings it back on a, a month later and it almost does the same thing again, INSG we're talking about. So, you know, love him or hate him, you have to respect Jim Cramer because he is the ultimate mover and shaker. He moves stocks. And in this Robin Hood retail-driven market, and, you know, you do see a lot of moves being driven by retail now. People say, oh, it's only 12 or 14% overall market. They don't drive price. On these storied stocks and on stocks that are you know, getting coverage, they do. They all pop into one side. They can get in very, very quickly. So um, this, you know, Chipotle isn't hurting because, you know, Jim Cramer is behind them 110%. It's up another 18 points here this morning. So different animal. You've got to always say there's a lot of balls to juggle, a lot of variables, but you have to respect uh, fast yeah, money and yeah. mad money. Their commentators move stocks. Yep. So you haven't been uh, you haven't been fading that one, right? No. And you know what? I've never I haven't been a Chipotle fan for a long time. I mean, we 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 Same. never understood the valuation. We hated it when it was six, seven hundred. Then it went to two hundred, and we were tooting our own, you know, saying <laughs> we made pretty good calls there. And then, you know, obviously it's went all the way back up. So I've never owned the stock. I trade it every once in a while. I've never had it in the long-term portfolio. I can't understand the valuation. It just always gets a pass. But whatever. It's a love stock. It's a storied stock. It's a stock that is talked about in the media a lot, and that keeps you know the story hot. And the story is still hot here at Chipotle. All right, let's uh, let's talk Las Vegas Sands. This here. is the opposite, and Spinner's you know saying the same thing as I am. Um, Las Vegas Sands, the exact opposite of the Domino's Pizza story here. The bar was so low it was in the ground and buried. There was literally almost no way that Las Vegas Sands was going to be able to go below that expectations bar unless well, they, they got a shovel well, and they dug a hole. In a tr- underneath the bar that was buried in the ground. That's how low the bar was for Las Vegas Sands. Well, unless our estimates uh, are off, they, they came in below the bar somehow. They lost $0.03 cents per share last quarter. The estimate was that they would make $0.11. Cents. Revenue fell by half on a quarter-over-quarter <laughs> quarter basis. They made $1.78 billion last quarter. Uh, they made $3.5 billion the quarter before that, and that's, that's generally where they are in the 3.3 to 3.6 billion dollar range, and they only made $1.7 billion last quarter uh disaster of a quarter uh both those numbers like i said are below the estimates and it doesn't matter this morning news algo should like totally just stop trading i don't know what it did on this um it might have dipped a little bit on the initial numbers maybe they didn't get burned on this but i know it did trade down the initial numbers just like domino's pizza trading up this is the hardest earnings season i trade earnings sometimes and i do interpretation and this is, you know, one of the hardest earning seasons to interpret, at least just looking at numbers and saying, oh, it's a beat. It's going to go up. Oh, it's a miss. It's going to go down. Ah, ah, ah. That, none of that matters. All that matters is where are the expectations. And the expectations were so low for Las Vegas Sands, it probably had no choice but to go higher. Um, down into the report, obviously sitting near the lows. 
investment fund managers are probably looking for stocks to potentially buy. For some reason, they come in here and they buy Las Vegas Sands here today. CAR, same story last night, Avis Budget Group. Um, after I saw Las Vegas Sands, I was like, ah, oh, they'll probably buy CAR too. The CAR earnings were not great. They weren't terrible. Well, they gave guidance. It wasn't even the earnings, I guess. But they saw... You want to read this because I suck at reading these, Spencer. Sure. They gave uh, some Q1 sales guidance yesterday. They guided that they're going to uh, make $1.7 to $1.8 billion uh, for the first quarter, which is right in line with the estimate the sales, there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the sales. I mean, uh, they're looking at, looking at a net loss of 155 to $165 million, adjusted EBITDA loss of 85 to $95 million. Uh, they did say that sales, uh, April sales are down 80% on a year-over-year basis, and they expect to see similar declines in May. So there you go. I, I love this word they furloughed, use. Furloughed 70% of their global workforce. I love this word they use. April sales have stabilized down 80% year-over-year. So they aren't going down lower is what they're saying right now. They've stabilized it down 80% year over year. They call that stabilized? Oh, man. <clears throat> stabilized? You couldn't find a better word than that? <laughs> Anyways, stabilized down 80%. So we hope, you know, they don't go down 100%. As, you know, it doesn't look like they're going down 100% is basically what they're saying there. Anyways, um, CAR, sales down 80%. Expectations for CAR, again, buried in the sand. The only way was, I don't even know if there was a way the car was going to come in below those low, low, low expectations. Do you and want me to talk about Las Vegas Sands? Or do you want both. To I want get, to do both. Or do you want to get earnings on a third stock? They're the same. Las Vegas Sands and car are the same right well, now. Both in the gutter, both low expectations, both get significant pops on earnings reports that were just absolutely terrible. Okay. The Las Vegas Sands, we talked about on uh, the, at the close show. And, you know, the only thing I could say from like a, a positive standpoint, I have no expectations of earnings, is, you know, it's, it's the old uh, Gil Morales uh, institutional accumulation trick, right? It's they're taking it, they want to own this stock, but they're not chasing it. You know, you had the low of the move. They're not chasing it at 50 or 55. But when it comes in, you know, they've been trying to get it under 45. And it, you know, it had that kind of look. And so those institutions are either going to, you know, puke it out at 35 or they're going to ride it, you know, everything's going to be fine and we're going to ride it back to 60 or 65 or whatever. So I think, you know, what you have in something like this, if the institutions or the large traders are accumulating this, they, you know, they can keep buying into pre-market and they can keep, you know, the thing afloat. So once it didn't even dip at all, it just went straight up. I mean, this oh, they saw what happened with Las Vegas Sands. I yeah. saw that car report. I, Joel, I saw it like when it, when it broke and I was like, I should just buy that thing at 1220 right now. I should just pay up because it's a terrible report, but we just saw what they did with Las Vegas Sands. Yep. I didn't have the guts. I couldn't bring myself to pay up the 1% for CAR. Because I was like, it's just such a bad report. It goes against all fundamental thought whatsoever. But all my spiny senses said, buy it, buy it. And then 20 minutes later, things trained 13 and a half. Yeah, well, uh, I'll give for the Las Vegas Sands. I mean, I like if you guys want to go out and chase this thing, I, good luck on that. Uh, you could do it. Uh, 44.92 is your pre-market. No, excuse me, 45 and a half. So I would do, we're right there. We're right there right now. Uh, let's, what's been your recovery high? Hmm. 
I can, I'll just give you a couple levels. 46.10, if you're looking to exit anything on a long, and then you got one, two, three, four highs. Let's just call it 48. But boy, oh boy, that'd be very impressive to see it, see it up there. Uh, if it breaks below like 44.80, there could be some downside. Uh, and I just want to mention uh, Snap from yesterday. Wow. Uh, wow. 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 We didn't think, like, I was like, I'm not going short it but I'm not chasing something up that's up 20%. It went up another 10% after that. Yep. So egg on my face. I guess we should have chased that one yesterday. What a move. What a move it brought in Facebook, Twitter, full disclosure, yep. I still own Twitter, pins, P-I-N-S. These full disclosure, I own lifting, Twitter too. Lifting, lifting off a snap. With that being said, now, now all of a sudden, you've raised the bar for Twitter, you've raised the bar for Facebook, and you've raised the bar for pins. So that bar, it's all about this bar. This earnings season, the numbers don't matter. It's about where the bar is. And it's going to move around and it's going to jockey around. It's always about the bar to a certain extent, but it's more about the bar than anything this earnings season. And if the, expect, the bar is way up here and your earnings are here and the analyst expectations are here, but you don't beat the bar, you're probably going down. So it's all about that bar. And I will just say that's the one warning, you know, as we're going to come into earnings. When's Facebook report? It's coming, 29th. So 29th. that's coming next week. So um, what about Twitter? Uh, I don't know. I'm looking Yeah, no, it's fine. I can look it up here. Twitter is due to report on the 30th before the bell. Hmm. All so right, they're Dad, coming. The bar is a little bit higher now for these stocks. Not ridiculously high because everybody's, you know, Still expectations on everything is pretty low, but the bar came up a little bit here with this snap move. I mean, Twitter was up 10% off a of snap. That's a big move. I own the stock, full disclosure. I plan on sticking with it a bit. It was a stock that I sold back around $36. I wanted to get my stock back. I did rebuy it around 25. I'm back in my Twitter. Um, I just wanted my stock back. That was basically why I rebought it. I had to rebuy. You can't be all cash. I got to buy rebuy some stocks. I, I like the Twitter still going forward. I still think people are doing a lot of stuff on social media. I think it, yeah. I think it could have a good, you know, more and more. I yeah. I'm, I think I'm it somewhat could have nervous a good about the quarter. Yeah. I would have liked them to report first and they get the 30%, not snap. <laughs> that would have been better. Now that the snap earnings and now that it already ran up 10% on expectations, oh, the Twitter earnings are going to have to be good too. That bar went from here to here. I get somewhat concerned they might not be able to beat that bar. But once we approach that earnings report, we'll talk about that one. Can we look at uh, the first stock that I saw this morning, sleep number, SNBR? This one is kind of crazy here. So they had earnings after the close and they just reported their best quarter in terms of revenue, I think ever. Uh, the EPS last quarter of buck 36 on sales of $473 million. Both of those came in above the estimate. I was going through the, the, call, the conference call and transcript a little bit. And they said that 25% uh, of their sales in, uh, in April have come from uh, closed stores. Uh, so I, I assume stores that, uh, online or yeah, 25% uh, have come from, open stores and a half of, I guess they have some open stores and half of their sales have come from online uh, live chat or, or over the phone. So uh, this one doesn't make sense to me. I guess people decided that they're not spending any discretionary money last month, last quarter, might as well buy a new bed, but uh, the stock is up big here. 
this morning. I'll pull up a chart. This, this one is kind of baffling to me. I'm not sure how much percentage they get from online overall, but any online retailer has obviously done pretty well, at least in the last quarter. It seems like people are not just buying food online and not just buying discretionary. Um, they're, they're, they're buying also a lot of other stuff. You know, you look at the chart of Wayfair. Yeah, that w. kept on going, huh? Yeah, it did. Um, and you, you just look at, you know, the chart, obviously Shopify, and you look at some of these, and obviously people, the shopper is just shopping online and buying a lot of different things. So if they get the bulk of their sales from online, it's, it's not that surprising. Um, obviously with closed stores, you would think the sales are going to go down. So impressive. Again, we have to remember that two thirds of this quarter would have been relatively normal. Um, January, February is no impact from COVID whatsoever. Even the first two weeks of March, there was very yeah. little. It's really the last two weeks of March. It's not so much the first quarter. Some of these first quarter numbers are pretty good. It's the second quarter numbers that are going to be a disaster. So, and some of these companies are just saying, we're not giving guidance. I know why they're not giving guidance because there's going to be a bloody disaster. But anyways, uh, just talk Tough to me number. Talk to me technicals here, Joel. I mean, 30 bucks jumps out at me. I don't think it's going there, but if it did go there, I think that's where it runs into trouble. But you get a retailer that's been beaten down all of a sudden blowing it away. I don't want to short it. Yeah, I see 29.57. Uh, that was your high on the ninth. But like, if you go to a longer term chart, and you know, you're thinking of shorten it at 30. I mean, man, oh man, where are you going to hide? I mean, this thing is uh, come down from uh, 61 to just under 20, right? How far under 20? 15. So 60 minus 15 is 45. 22, man, 25, 32. 35, 36, 30. I, 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 I couldn't short it either. Uh, if you have some short-term profits here, uh, and also after looking at that Wayfair chart, I mean, oh, yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, they had to get, I, I stay away. I couldn't, I couldn't buy it up, you know, 16%. After here. I watched what Snap did yesterday, I'm like, yeah, eh, not shorting these good earnings reports. You know, you know what? what though? That Snap, hey, Spencer, could you pull up that? And I'm kicking myself. Uh, could you pull up that 15 minute pre-market chart and Snap? Because I said it and I didn't sure. do it. I looked at that, that's Accumulation at 1480 in the pre-market at four o'clock. Someone was just bringing in. Do you remember if there was an iceberg out there, Dennis, or not? You probably weren't looking I at it that it. closely. No, no. Um, man, oh man, and they just brought it in, and then the opening low was 1485, and it just right there, and it never looked back. So that whoever was buying there at 15 and under was planning on buying a lot more, a lot higher, and um, instead I was looking for it to breach 1485 and go back down but uh, it was the classic gap and go yeah the classic gap and go and we talk about that all the time you know the gap and go um the open is such an important event why because there is a lot of short-term traders that will be marked there people are placing bets i'm going long i'm going short it's not about the long-term money in the short run it's about the short-term money where are the day traders where are the prop traders which side are they on they're going to place bets at the open. You see a big print. There's day traders short and there's day traders long. And when you see it move in the one direction, okay, we got some people caught here. So it's either, you know, and that's why the open is such an important event. And when we look and we talk about the open, um, we, you, you, want to, you want to write down that number. 
So a stock that opens at like 15, runs up to 15 and a half, comes back down. If the 15 holds, it could be some shocking there. If it takes that out, now you have all the traders that were longer from the open saying, uh-oh, here we go, it's going down, I'm going to go through it. So a lot of times you see a stock open, go up a little bit, then take out its opening price, and then the flush. So the open is very important. There's no number really, you know, once you're, you're past 930, the number of the open is very important because it's a lot of where a lot of short-term traders are marked from. It's where they're in or out. You want to do target real fast before this number? Yeah, let's do it. Oh right. man, number, I got to, thank you. I'm going to have to Yeah, number orders. coming up here in three minutes. Uh, target was out, it came out with some prelim uh, guidance or prelim sales figures uh, for the quarter that ends at the end of April here. They said that uh, quarter to date comps are up 7% on a year over year basis. A lot of that is obviously in their essential and food and beverage segment. Talked about online sales going through the roof, 275 percent increase in e-commerce revenue this month so some prelim numbers here for target for the quarter that ends in a couple weeks it's the kind of stock i'd buy on the pullback i'll say that i don't know if i'm going to i might i don't have a position in it i look at this and i'm like wow i don't think i'm getting down to 90 i would love it at 90 um but you're coming into the 50 percent retracement of the recent move so we go 90 up to 114 call that uh, 14 points, so or no, no 24 that, points, maybe 12 Canada points, 98 bucks. Yep. $98 is a 50% retracement of the move. I don't mind it down here under 100 bucks. What are your yeah. thoughts? Uh, same thing. I mean, it, 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 it's really, it's come hard off that 130 level, that all-time high, and I remember it running there. So hasn't hasn't really rebounded like some of these other stocks. Maybe it's just taking some time, but uh, yeah, I would wait. I, I don't think you're obviously – you know, getting back down to that low of the move. Uh, don't think that's going to happen in 90.52, but you did pretty well in that 50% retracement. Uh, really no daily lows in that area. It's really where it is. You got this 97 low. I don't think you're going to even see that today, but that's the trap door. If it doesn't hold 97, then look out, 92.13 was your next daily low. But uh, but hold it over 100 for a long time. We're under 100. You might get a look at that. I mean, if I was short and it came down to like that 97.03, I'd be out there at 97.10 the first time. So, all right, just, uh, Dennis. I'm going to trade this number. Yeah. Uh, we were bouncing around here during the show, kind of uh, wondrously aiming uh roaming around i saw us in the lower 2780 handle now we're popped up the last few times we've had horrible numbers and we've rallied so let's see what happens this time 2794 is where we're currently trading up top up we're popping a little bit here up top 0575 that's your current high 08 was yesterday's high so that's a potential double top uh, you did get a pop up there to 96 and change, just bouncing around. I don't think there's uh, getting a major, major reaction yet to this. We'll have to bring Dennis on here in a 
minute or so. 4.4, here we go. 4.42 million is the initial job misclaims reading for last week. That's actually pretty close to the estimate. Yeah, I saw mm-hmm. a few estimates around uh, 4.5 or 4.2. So 4.42 uh, million reading is pretty much in line. Uh, it's good to, good to see the number go down. Last week's reading was sure. 5.2 million. So over the past three, uh, or I guess four readings now, it's gone from 6.8 million to 6.6 to 5.2 to now 4.5 here uh, or 4.4 this morning. So uh, it's good to see that. I mean, these numbers are still absurd, but it's good to see them go down at least on, on a weekly basis. Same thing. It's not, I mean, it's not moving quite like it did on the last, uh, the last number. We really had a big pop on it, but um, I think what you're seeing, it's, it, they're glad that the number's going down. And, um, you know, obviously the players here, in the market are thinking that, Hey, this is a temporary thing. And that, you know, people are going to be getting back to work. I did see that Georgia was getting a hard time reopening, but uh, moving higher folks, keep an eye on 057508. All right. Uh, let's bring on uh, our first guest uh, just uh, for, for a couple minutes here. We'll bring on Jason Rasnick. He is the, uh, the founder of, uh, of Benzinga here. He's been joining us once a week or so uh, to just give us his thoughts on the market. He's not really a guest. Uh, we'll talk to Jason for a couple minutes here, and then we'll talk to uh, our guest, Joey Agri, in a couple minutes after that. Jason, uh, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, how's it going? Uh, we're, we're hanging in there, Jason. We're hanging in there. We're just, we just got this jobs number that, or jobless claims number that you – know, is bad, but I guess was in line with estimates. It's nice to see it going down. So market seems to not have minded the number so much, uh, but a lot, a lot of news this morning, Jason, what's on your radar here? I mean, I'm still watching the same companies I've talked to you guys about for the yeah. past, you know, a few months, past few weeks from, you know, simple TAST to Wendy's, but um, it's just, there's not a immediate catalyst, obviously, if more news comes out on the Corona, but um, just sort of being a little more on the sideline um, sideline right now. I did get out of that USO position. Thank you, Dennis. Um, and I bought more of like Peloton and stuff like that. So just be trying to be diverse, not into one sector. So um, you're not locked in and you don't have to look at it every day. If you're, if you're not able to trade every day, being diverse and not and, and buying good companies, I think is the way to go. Um, and, and, and so one of the reasons I'm on this morning is that we're excited to have on, um, I, I know I've talked about this one, I think it was about a month and a half ago, two months ago as one of my, I like to buy, you know, stocks that release, that have dividends. Um, and one of the companies that I invest in is Agree Development Corp ADC, symbol ADC. And that's the guest we're going to be bringing on in a minute. And I think it's a good opportunity for the, you know, I don't know, tens of thousands of traders that are listening to us to hear about a company um, from leadership. It's a company that was a smaller cap 10 years ago, and now it's really risen. And, um, and it's probably just the beginning, but we'll get to hear from the CEO himself. And I'll, I'll leave it to you, Spencer, to yeah. our intro. Yeah, yeah, we probably don't um, bring enough uh, local Michigan people on as much as we should, uh, yeah. but uh, Joe Agri is the uh, the president and CEO of Agri Realty, a local read. And uh, I've been wondering about this as well because the commercial real estate uh, industry has been upended here, and there's a lot happening, both on on the, a lot on the demand side for distressed assets, non-distressed assets. So uh, I'll bring Joey on here right 
uh, now, Joey Agri, president and CEO of Agri Realty. Uh, Joey, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're hanging in there. Uh, how about yourself? <laughs> uh, say the same. Hanging in there. Yeah. No doubt about hanging it. In there. Uh, yep. It's obviously a crazy time for everybody, but we are uh, we are hanging in there. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I guess, Joey, can we just start off at a high level here? You guys reported uh, earnings uh, here a couple of days ago. Can you just give us a, a quick recap of, of, of the quarter? Yeah, it seems like the quarter was actually uh, a decade ago. Uh, it's probably the most irrelevant quarter in the history of, uh, of my career, at least to report. I'm pleased to report that it was, it was a strong quarter for us. We acquired approximately $228 million um, on the acquisition front. We uh, raised our acquisition guidance from six to seven hundred million dollars to seven to eight hundred million dollars. Um, launched a number of projects, four projects that were apparently under construction across the country for uh, really various national retailers. Um, and then we, I think, most importantly, you know, at three thirty-one and then subsequent to quarter end, significantly bolstered our balance sheet with uh, with equity. To, uh, to to really go on the offense here and, and take advantage of market dislocations. Yeah, I mean, when other companies are like putting on the brakes, it feels like you guys are accelerating and you know going after the market. Uh, that's one hundred percent correct. I tell you, in the last uh, in the last five six months alone, we've raised nearly a billion dollars in equity. I mean, this was uh, offensive. It came in multiple forms, all through our, our some through our ATM program. With over four hundred million dollars in the ATM program as an out-to-market equity program, on three thirty-one we did an, uh, an overnight marketed deal for another hundred and seventy-five million dollars, and then Monday, last Monday that is, uh, we opened uh, we opened with uh, an early release, a pre-market release, where we did effectively a direct private placement of equity of three hundred and seventy-five million dollars with Code and Steers, um, really the preeminent and largest rededicated investor in the world with uh, over $60 billion in, in the AUM. Yeah, that's just unreal. And, and I was looking at the numbers in the REIT sector. I feel like you guys are by far the best performing um, over the last three years. Uh, it's We are definitely up there. The tower space has performed pretty well among a, a couple other spaces. A few industrial names have performed well. Um, but in, in, in terms of retail REITs, uh, yes, we've outperformed all of our peers, and I think that's a, that's a testament to a few things. One, it's the quality of our portfolio, which today is 60% investment, at least the 60% investment grade retailers. Our largest tenant is uh, Walmart at 6.3% at 331. We've done a number of transactions where we've acquired Walmart, high performing really Walmart super centers. Um, it's also a testament to the team. We've built a fantastic team that has relationships across the industry, um, but then also the balance sheet. This, is, um, this balance sheet is a war chest today. Uh, post all of those equity transactions, pro forma for the settlement of our forward equity, our, our, our transaction with Conan Steers was structured as a forward that the company can settle at its election at any time within 12 months. We're 0.7 times levered. And I said that correctly. Everybody heard me, 0.7 times levered. Wow. The, typical wow. re the, pick, the typical read today is probably levered six times, our, our stated leverage target historically has been five to six times. But again, we've effectively raised uh, a billion dollars in equity and created nearly a $2 billion war chest 
to, again, to take advantage of the opportunities that we see in the market while, well, frankly, the capital markets for most people are effectively frozen and or their ability to raise equity is significantly impaired given the dilutive effect. Yeah, I mean, so when you're going to get a deal, your cash is a lot cheaper and you guys can be more competitive, I assume. Oh, our cost of capital is is very low. Uh, I would tell you we have a two investment grade ratings. Three weeks ago, we received the investment, the triple B rating from S&P in the midst of a pandemic. We're BAA2 at, at Moody's. So we have access to all types of debt. Obviously, we have a billion-dollar credit facility with approximately 12 banks. We're able to access the unsecured bond market, the debt private placement market. Today, we are trading... Um, in the low 60s, we're trading in, in, in a low five cap and an implied cap rate basis or approximately 18, 19 times AFFO, which is the REIT speak, really the, the dominant and predominant earnings metric. And so our cost of capital is the lowest in the retail space uh, by a significant margin. There's nobody trading within four turns of us as a, as a retail REIT in the country. That's shopping centers, malls, and at least. And so there's no doubt that we have, like I said, effectively built a war chest um, to go advantage to go take advantage of the market and the opportunities we see. Yep. And before we get to the other guys who want to ask you some questions, um, so on our mind, we have Joey Agri, CEO of ADC, Symbol Agri Development Corp. Um, I want to take it back to 2009, 2010, when you came in and you guys, um, you know, you had a few tenants that were a majority of your tenant base. How did you come in, or what did you look at the scenery and Diversify, like take us back to then and what your like roadmap was. Cause I mean, it seems like every analyst report I've read from city to whoever, the execution of your company has been one of the best they've ever seen. And just, if you could take us back to, you know, different other leadership that are listening, what'd you see in 2009, 2010 that allowed you to diversify and expand the company so, um, so aggressively over the last 10 years? Um, hey, look, it, it is a it has been a ten year transformation of the company. The only thing that has remained, frankly, in those ten years, and it's hard to remember last week, let alone two thousand nine, two thousand ten during this during this pandemic. The only two, two principles has remained: one, a conservative balance sheet today, we're the second lowest levered balance sheet in the entire REIT space, again at 0.7 times levered. Um, really, what I saw, and then the second piece is just a disciplined investment strategy. So in, in 2010, the portfolio consisted of 70 properties. Uh, the company was historically a developer for Walgreens, Borders, and Kmart. That was my father's roots as Agri Development prior to Agri Realty Corporation and this IPO in 1994. So it, it continued uh, for that, you know, that 16-year period to predominantly be a developer. You know, what, I, what I saw in 2010 was uh, it was a few things, so it was a fewfold. Um, number one, our tenant base, that 70 properties was comprised of approximately 70% Borders, Walgreens, Kmart. Uh, we know two of those, one of them's officially gone, the other one is basically gone, and Walgreens obviously is still, still around. So the tenant base was highly concentrated in three names. It was uh, a micro cap read at the time of approximately $260 million uh, in, in, in equity cap today, as, as, as you guys mentioned, I think we're, you know, we're approaching over about $4 billion in total capitalization, just over $4 billion in total capitalization. Um, and so there was, there was one, both opportunity coming out of the great recession, but there was also the need to offensively take our portfolio and diversify it, uh, as quickly as possible. 
You can't do that through development. The average development projects take 18 to 24 months. Um, that, that, that takes a long time. And so there was an urgency to transform the portfolio. Um, hence, I launched our acquisition strategy in April of 2010. Um, really built out, started to build out the people, the processes, and the systems. The company had nine people at the time um, to execute on that transformation strategy and on that diversification strategy through acquisitions. Now, today, fast forward 10 years later, um, I should add one other thing. We had access to the public capital market. So being a publicly traded company, um, the access to the public capital markets is a major advantage versus a, a private developer. So you fast forward to 2000, you fast forward to 2020. Today, our portfolio is approaching uh, 900 properties. Um, again, it's 60% investment grade. Our largest tenant, Walmart, is 6.2% of total rents. Obviously, we know what happened with borders. Kmart, we have, don't have any Kmart left in our portfolio. There are a few left uh, through NUCO, uh, Sears NUCO uh, across the country. And our focus today is on the best retailers in the country. And that's a sandbox of approximately 20 tenants that we are out there targeting through our three external growth platforms now. Development, which is, you know, I, I would tell you, would be few and far between on a go-forward basis post-pandemic. Acquisitions, where again, we just raised our guidance to seven to $800 million. Um, and then what we call our PCS program, Partner with Capital Solutions, where we can take advantage of, uh, frankly, our, our balance sheet and our development capabilities and, and execute on other developers' projects, which we're seeing more and more opportunities given the lack of, of frankly, capital available today. So that's a 10 years in a nutshell, um, but it has been a transformation. You know, we've uh, we used to trade at 10 times. Today we're trading again at 18, 19 times. I think this is widely recognized across the, the buy side as well as the sell side on the street as the predominant um, retail portfolio in the country. It's the highest quality retail portfolio country. You add, the, you add in the best balance sheet and a strategy over the last 10 years focusing on e-commerce resistant or what we call omni-channel critical retailers, the best in their industry, the leaders in their space, and today you have uh, today you have you know really what we call the third phase of Agri Realty um, as we're positioned in this pandemic today. So, so Joe, you you took over as president and uh, COO in '09, and you you just talked about this transition on the heels of a recession. How does that compare to today? Because we are entering now another recession, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so, how does so how do you look at how do you look at today right now? knowing, you know, what you went through the last time around, we hadn't had a recession. It's a great question. Um, so first, how do I look at today? I think the most important thing for any CEO is to have gone through similar or like kind experiences and take that knowledge of what they learned um, from all across the board, people, process systems, business strategy, um, and then tactical execution during any exigent period and then be able to apply that. To do that, you need to have been gone through it. You can't learn in the textbook. And I'll tell you, that's probably the most important thing in my career is I've been through the Great Recession and the stress portfolio, which we were just talking about. Um, so experience there is critical. Um, I will tell you now the pandemic that we are in and the, the recession that this pandemic has caused relative to the great recession uh, that we went through over a decade ago um, are apples and oranges. So the great recession obviously had significant challenges to it. 
It was around really focused on, on, on our banking sector, obviously caused by uh, the housing sector and the derivatives and everything that was a function of that. This is a health crisis. Um, and I would tell you that there are the outputs of that are dramatically different. We saw retailers go from, uh, you know, retailers lose approximately 50% of sales, discretionary retailers during the Great Recession. Today, during this pandemic, they went to 0% of sales. So when you start to get into total cash burn mode and you have no top line revenue except e-commerce revenue, if you have an effective e-commerce platform, to a negative cash burn, which many retailers are in position, most retailers, frankly, today are in a position of a negative cash burn, you are talking about significantly more distress than in the Great Recession. And so I will tell you our, our strategy of focusing on, we acquired six Walmart supercenters in the first quarter, then Walmart, our largest tenant, on the best, on the brightest, um, was, was, was frankly, was, was prescient. I mean, we had the opportunity to really fortify this portfolio with big balance sheet investment-grade operators that can make it through this crisis, because who would have turned, predicted a pandemic? So this is much more severe. Um, the severity will be will be really determined by the duration of the health crisis um, and whether or not, frankly, we have a second wave of this virus. But it will also be determined by how stores are able to ramp sales back up as they are able to open. And so we will not snap back. There is no V-shaped recovery, most likely not a U-shaped recovery. Um, the retailers that I talk to today and yesterday and every day are talking about how they get to the new normal um, in, in a post-pandemic recessionary environment, which everyone is searching and, frankly, running different models and different scenarios to understand. Yep. So, um, Joel, did you, were you jumping in on that or you want me to take that over? I thought you had a question. Okay, Joel's on mute. So um, I'm sorry. Sorry about that, Jason. I had it on mute in the background. Uh, that's, what, uh, that's, the, that's the biggest problem. That's the biggest problem with all the Zoom calls and the conference calls is all the mutes. Everybody does yeah, it. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, you did a great job of di diversifying the portfolio, um, you know, and the mm -hmm. timing of it and everything. I think another really important aspect of real estate and what you're doing is the duration of the leases. And um, you know, the longer the leases are, the better your credit, money in the bank and stuff. And I know you have a lot of individual tenants there, but just talk about like, I mean, you're not signing one and two and five year leases that, uh, you know, yeah. looking into the future. I think that like, that's most, that's been your key to survival. And I was just, you know, can you talk about the spread of leases, time expirations? Because um, that, yeah. that's really yeah. an important thing in real estate. I tell you, look, it's it, it, it is a critical metric, metric in the REIT speak. It's called weighted average lease term or WALT. Our weight, weighted average lease term is approximately 10 years, 9.8, 10 years. Uh, we will buy shorter duration leases. Uh, I'll give you an example. We just bought the home goods in the Hamptons, the only home goods in the Hamptons with just under five years, but critically of remaining lease term. I mean, that store took five years to entitle uh, in the Hamptons. Uh, and build uh, from by a private developer. So I will tell you that our, our, way, our lease term provides stability, but stability lease term can only provide stability when you have credit behind those leases, such as Walmart or TJ Maxx or Home Depot or Tractor Supply or National Tire and Battery or AutoZone or O'Reilly or any of our top 10 tenants. And so 
It provides stability of cash flow. Um, and so the, you, know, you are correct in that sense. Um, at the same time, we're a real estate operator, so we'll take advantage of short-term leases in, frankly, in uh, conjunction with our retail partners um, who we work with on a daily basis. And then, Joe, Joey, just one more before we let you go here. There's an article in the journal yesterday about demand for distressed commercial real estate. Are you seeing an increase in that? Or, or can you comment at all about an increase in demand for distressed uh, commercial real estate assets? Well, I, I, I would tell you a couple things. Angry Realty, we don't focus on distressed commercial. We focus on the exact opposite of, direct, uh, of distressed commercial real estate. We focus on 100% solid single tenant net lease retail real estate to the best lead, to the best operators in the retail world. Anybody who is focused on distressed retail real estate better understand what distress truly looks like in the upcoming months, quarters, and potentially years ahead. I think it is very difficult to get to the bottom. Uh, it's very difficult to get to the bottom of what we're actually seeing. In any business, it's very difficult. It's almost impossible if you don't understand EBITDA or pro forma EBITDA, in our case, in real estate, commercial real estate, that translates to NOI, net operating income. But if you have any multi-tenant building or a credit, multi-tenant building, that can be an office building, it can be an industrial building, it can be a retail small strip center, it can be a mall, uh, it, can be a, uh, it can be a hotel, obviously those are multi-tenant. If you don't understand the underlying pro forma EBITDA in a pandemic, NOI for real estate, it is very difficult to have price discovery. So I would tell anybody that is thinking about getting into distressed commercial real estate, you better have a pretty good, um, a pretty good visibility, you believe, into what distress really means. I personally believe in the retail space, which is our expertise, we are far from seeing distress and understanding what distress looks like across the vast retail space. Now, net lease is very different because of the credit profile of our tenants and the single tenant nature. But this country before the pandemic started had challenges in retail. We've all read about malls and specific retailers that were failing. We're at 24 square feet per capita pre-pandemic and today in this country of retail space. The next closest in the world is Canada at 16. So they have eight square feet less per capita. They're at two thirds. Western Europe had four and a half square feet per capita of retail space. And Asia averages about one to one and a half square feet of retail space. So it is very difficult, I think, to take all the multitude of factors that are out there we're oversaturated in terms of general retail space. We're going through a transformative retail environment in terms of omni-channel, e-commerce, delivery, everything everybody is aware of. A pandemic, a weak consumer, and how all of that shakes out. And I will tell you, it's even more complicated, I believe, and more difficult to have EBITDA or NOI discovery when you get into things like multi-tenant office, where consumer behaviors will emerge as totally different um, than frankly they were pre-pandemic. I personally believe that the days of benching and one, one, one team member, what we call one employee per 125 square feet, which is country now approximately starts to average or offices targeted, are done. I don't think people are going to want to be sitting within three feet of their colleagues with no separators for a long time. People are going to be working from home using the Zoom technology and all the other technologies that are available. So 
Distressed commercial real estate is a uh, relative term. Be careful where you enter. Obviously, there's always opportunities in distress. The question is, what is that EBITDA discovery in any business? How do you look at it in a pro forma basis? Um, and you better be right at the end of the day. Yeah, and Joy, we are going to let you go on that one, but we've had a bunch of questions from our chat room. Um, they're, yeah. they're loving the knowledge that you're sharing about the whole industry. Sure. Um, so mm -hmm. what, so one, one of the things, though, someone who is sleuthing it up, you did a, they, I guess the question is Sherwin-Williams a while ago, you did a deal with them, 150 million sale leaseback. For that company, like what's right. that do by moving the real estate to you guys? Like what's that quickly do? I know we have to go in a few minutes, but what's that quickly do okay. for them? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a very rare um, transaction for us. We're typically not a sale leaseback um, a provider to retailers. We've done three in the last two years. The one you mentioned was Sherwin-Williams, who had approximately 100 stores on balance sheet. The rest were leased from third-party landlords, where we bought those 103 stores for $150 million. They signed 12-year contractual re uh, leases with fixed increases. Sherwin-Williams Corporate, the largest paint and, paint and coatings retailer in the world, obviously. Uh, so they pay us monthly rent. Um, and they took them off balance sheet, took the proceeds, and that case, $150 million and pay monthly rent. Um, we recently did one in the first quarter at National Tire and Battery. That's uh, owned by TVC Corporation, which is ultimately owned by uh, a Japanese parent, um, a Japanese trading conglomerate. Um, obviously a leading tire and service operator in the country. We did 12 stores with them in the first quarter of this year. I believe we did six in the first quarter of 2019. So we will look at those select opportunities where retailers have real estate on balance sheet and have a better use of that capital. Um, but predominantly, uh, just for example, last year we acquired just over $700 million, I believe. Um, we did a hundred, a hundred that involved 187 properties and 140 different transactions, averaging $4.2 million per property. Wow. All right, Joey. Uh, Joey Agri, President and Chief Executive Officer, Agri Realty, Sybil ADC. Uh, a little question here off the subject here. How's your mom doing? <laughs> because I think I asked you that My last mom. time. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I know she's an active swimmer, and I know oh her from goodness. the pool. Joel, Joel I've been out in the pool swimmer. for eight weeks, and I'm going crazy. <laughs> How's she doing? <laughs> Uh, she is an active swimmer. They have closed down the pool yep. at her uh, country, country club in Florida. That is uh, that's a crisis for her. Yeah. Um, so she has she's found some different forms of exercise, uh, yep. but she does miss the pool. I, I call my mom the dolphin sometimes because yep. she spends more time underwater. Um, but she is a. Uh, <laughs> tell tell her Joel and Lisa do. from the sports club and not uh, JCC said hello. We Goodness miss gracious. it. You got it. I, All right. I will do. I appreciate you asking. All right, Joey Agri, President and CEO of Agri Realty. Joey, thanks for the time this morning. I appreciate it, guys. Stay safe. Right. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, Jason, any final thoughts before we hop out of here? No, you guys are the best. I don't know where Dennis went, but you I'm guys right are the best. He's, he's been here the whole time. I learned a lot here. You know what? I was <laughs> like, this ADC. So just stop for a second. I, I, and I was going to pop in, but you guys are doing such a great job with the interview. I didn't need to jump in there to save you guys. But I just want I was <laughs> we, looking we through the portfolio. That. So I'm looking through ADC's portfolio. I'm on their website. I'm literally looking through their, their portfolio of tenants. 
this is like the most impressive portfolio of tenants. Like this is built recession proof. It feel like, like there is Walmart, like we talked about, but you look, it's full of dollar general. You look at the stock charts of their tenants. They're all at highs. Family Dollar, obviously, um, you know, which is part of that family there now too. O'Reilly Auto Parts, another one, a huge tenant there. Um, you've got pharmacies in there, CVS, Rite Aid. I mean, it's pro Home Depot is another one as well, which you know is a stock that's held up very well. This is high quality tenants. He's not joking. He has some super high quality tenants. You think about where the REITs are and how many other REITs are, you know, in some trouble here. And then you look at the portfolio like this. It's like this is the kind of REIT I don't want to own. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's unreal, the diversification. And I mean, imagine when he came in in 2010 and what it is today, Dennis. It's probably, he probably came at the right time because he saw, you know, what can happen. And, you know, and obviously he's built this portfolio. So, you know, it is high quality tenants, not just taking anybody in that isn't going to pay their bills. I mean, you think about, you know, the Cheesecake Factory here now, or you think about certain restaurants. I mean, there is some restaurants in here, but the bulk of this portfolio is stuff that people are going to buy even during a recession. So you can kind of see how he's kind of tried to build this portfolio recession-proof. Joe, if you're still listening, it's an impressive portfolio. Uh, uh, two things uh, that I just want to bring up. Uh, number one is in this environment to be able to raise capital. Um, you know, one, my dad always told me, borrow money when you can, not when you need to. And in this environment, you know, with the banks to be able that people are showing such confidence in what he's doing. That is just a, uh, uh, you know, that's just a, a great attribute. And also, and I mentioned to him about the duration of the leases. Um, those are important. I mean, you know, a lot of these, you know, one and two and five year deals, you're, you're, you're uh, have tenants come in, they don't make it. You have to redo the store, you know, you have to redo the space. But man, when you got those those tenants in there for you know five, ten, fifteen years or whatever, you can amortize those costs and they become much lower. So um, no, that was a great interview, and I really liked his uh, you know his assessment of the the pandemic versus uh, the financial uh, crisis. So a lot of great information. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks great for bringing them on, Jason. Yeah, that was a great question Spencer asked, comparing the two. You know, uh, I thought that was a good one, and. Uh, well, some good stories from this one, too. I mean, there was probably two or three stories that can be, you know, articles. But uh, it's good to hear a whole macro environment, too. And, um, and that idea that your dad said about raise money when you can, not when you need it, is, um, is a good lesson. I mean, to, to build that war chest just gives them the opportunity to, to really – I mean, it was – I remember when it was a $10 stock. It was a $10 stock, and Borders and um, Kmart were the main, uh, you know, tenants. And those are both basically gone. I mean, that's crazy if you think about it. You know, people talk about businesses changing, pivoting. And, you know, if you're just stuck in your own ways, well, guess what? You're not going to grow. Um, you're just not going to grow. And that's what they did. They, they diversified and they changed it up. And they didn't accept the norm. And they went through, you know, different people over time. And he said when he joined, it was nine people. So I think it's like 60 now. Um, not huge. But um, it's a New York Stock Exchange public company. At one time, I don't know if he still is. I'm sure there's someone at one time for like three years, Joey was the youngest CEO on the New York Stock Exchange. I was going to bring that up, um, but I didn't, but I was going to anyway. All right, uh, Jason, we'll let you go. Thanks for hanging out with us this morning. 
Thank you for having me, guys. Awesome. All right. Love you. Hey, uh, Spencer, right. should uh, I know, Dennis, yeah. you got to go. I mean, we we missed some stocks here. Do we want to stay on for another minute or two here? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll stay on for a couple. Dennis, I'll give you, you a fl- quick imbalance look before yeah, I go yeah. here, sure, though. Sure. They are starting to grow to the buy side here, so it's giving relevance to the market rally that we are having here. I mean, this market loves to trade on the silver lining. And here we are, you know, the jobless claims, when you look at that absolute number, you're like, whoa, it's just an awful number too. But again, it's like you said, it's trending down. So the market's trying to find the silver lining here and saying, look, we're getting better. So um, it balances this morning. There are significant to the buy side. You're again seeing rally in the oil stocks themselves. USO is participating slightly here this morning, but the oil stocks have been ripping for a couple of days here, really. Um, Exxon Mobil, 208,000 buys, trading up another dollar here. Chevron trading up, um, looking just AT&T. There was some commentary on AT&T after its disappointing day yesterday where it gave back a lot of the gains and ended up in the red. 100,000 buys, so you got some institution in there saying, I want some stock. Uh, they're, they're mostly to the buy side. So I think you're going to see this rally potentially at least hold up to the open. After that, it's anybody's guess. All right, Dennis, we'll let you run. Joel and I will hang out here for a couple more minutes. I know we missed a lot of uh, tickers in the chat, so we want to use this time now to cover a few of them. Uh, let me see. Let me go Let's through. Let's go with the IMMU. Did we? Co- we didn't cover that, did we? We did not cover that. They had news. I want to say it was out yesterday after the close. Uh, they had a positive headline on a drug of theirs for. I want to say. Uh, breast cancer, but let me confirm it here because I can't remember every headline okay. that I that I read. It was uh, yesterday, and they shares were halted, and then I guess they've they've, uh, they've obviously resumed here. Uh, they received approval for let me find the actual headline. Uh, yeah, approval for their uh, previously treated uh, metastatic triple negative breast cancer drug. So they uh, hmm. they got the they got accelerated approval from the FDA for that. Well, this one's in no man's land. So I'm just going to, the initial spike, and when did we do this? Uh, This was uh, in the after hours trading. You spiked to 31 even, and then you came back, and then you had a quiet accumulator. Let's call it 28 bucks. So anywhere between 28 and 31 if you want to try potential buy that looks like an area of support if you're looking for a potential target on the upside a 31 i uh, was a pre-market high uh if you have your pro open spencer what that is this is this a different drug that uh because do you see this move on uh august or excuse me april 6th do you see that move where it doubled was that the same drug or were they working on a covid drug or something you see what that's I'm talking a, about? That's a good question. That was da, 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 da. what was that? That's a different drug. Really? Wow. Oh, they're hot. Okay. What uh what else? Do we right, do? uh somebody also mentioned Hormel very early on in the show. Uh they mentioned it again just now, so I'll bring HRL up on okay. the chart here. Don't know when they report. Let's find out here. I want to say they're probably later in the season. I feel like most of the staples wow. at the end, but Hormel uh, no confirmed – oh, I'm sorry. Yes, confirmed date. Uh, no, no confirmed date. I'm sorry. Uh, so middle or late May is when they'll probably report. Well, I guess a lot of people are eating spam here. Look at this thing. Is this an all – I think this is an all-time high for it. Yeah. Uh, wow. I didn't – 
look at the food stocks. And uh, this one. Uh, Wait, HRL is not, I don't know what time. I'm HRL. Right yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not an old time high. Well, I see a 51 tick from. A, Near an old time. I mean, it from, came back and made an all time high last month. HRL. Sure, it, it, it's, in, it's in the ballpark, sure. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, hmm. I know, it seems to be coming off a little bit here, trading, I don't know. You've had such a big move here. I think I have to wait for a little bit of a pullback. You've had three down days in a row. Um, I'm looking at the, the dailies here. I don't know. It just looks like got someone taking some profits in here, uh, going down a couple lows in the 48 handle, so... I closed near the low. Still likes it got some uh, more room to do to go on the downside. 50% retracement. What was your March low? Your March low was 39. You spiked up to 50, 51, 12 point move at six. Comes into 45, 46. I think I'd have a little bit more interest in trying to pick it up here in the middle of the no man's land. Uh, let's look at, what about Kellogg? Yeah, Kellogg is, man, it, it's coming back, but certainly not near an all-time high. Tyson Foods, uh, that one's still I, hard to get chicken. That's not, uh, I don't know. These have been a mixed bag. I would say Hormel's just been a, a good performer. General Mills has come back. And, and then a couple a couple more here. Spinner pointing out we didn't get a chance to discuss the rails today. CSX and UNP have both reported in the last uh Last day, CSX was after the close, and uh, UNP was here this morning. Well, I'll just pull up the chart of CSX. Uh, for, for whatever it's worth, their earnings beat and their sales were in line, but they withdrew their guidance for obvious reasons. Uh, I'm not too. I'm not surprised to see these up. I mean, shipping a lot of stuff. You know, maybe different cargo, not cars and you know parts and things like that, but shipping food to places. So um, I'm not too surprised. I mean, with drawing guidance, I think they have to, but uh, uh, stuff has still got to move. I'll just take a look the uh, for the uh, CSX. Uh, we, got a, we got a top at 65 that you need to clear. You haven't hit that yet. And then UNP is trading, uh, trading higher. That gapped higher. This is a little bit thinner of a stock. Uh, a nice target would be 156. You're at 153. What's been the high of the move? The high, oh, we're, we're breaking out here, folks. 153.52 was a former high of the move. And getting maybe, maybe you take a shot at 160 today if the momentum, if it opens up and rallies a buck, buck, buck and a half, and then comes back down to that opening print, I think I would maybe reevaluate things on the long side. All right, we're going to hop off here. Thanks to our guests, Joey Agri and uh, Jason Rasnick, for stopping by. Thanks to everyone in our chat. You can catch a replay of this show on YouTube or on our podcast. Please remember all the information that we say is meant to be used as informational purposes, not for investing or trading advice. Joel and I will, will be back with you at 344 to close. In the meantime, everyone have a great rest of your day. And wherever you are, stay safe. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.